Psalm 148. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His hosts. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you stars of light. Praise Him, you heavens of heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded and they were created. He also established them forever and ever. He made a decree which shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all the depths. Fire and hail, snow and clouds, stormy wind fulfilling his word. Mountains and all hills, fruitful trees and all cedars. Beasts and all cattle, creeping things and flying fowl. Kings of the earth and all peoples. Princes and all judges of the earth. Both young men and maidens, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord. For his name alone is exalted, his glory is above the earth and heaven, and he has exalted the horn of his people, the praise of all his saints, of the children of Israel, a people near to him. Praise the Lord. Brothers and sisters, in our Lord Jesus Christ, we mentioned last week, or I mentioned last week, that the last five psalms of the Psalter are all psalms of praise. And all of them begin and end with that word hallelujah. I'd like to take just a minute here at the beginning of our discussion of Psalm 148 to uh, point out the differences between these five psalms. They are all psalms of praise, but they look at praise from different perspectives and praise the Lord for different things. So in Psalm 146, Happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. It is a psalm of praise to the Lord for his care for us. We saw last week that Psalm 147 is especially about his care for Jerusalem and his restoration of Jerusalem. Today's Psalm 148 uh, is not a psalm that's focused on particular um, reasons for praise, though there's some of that in the psalm, but is more uh, a universal call to praise, a call to the heavens and the earth to praise the Lord. Psalm 149 is a call to the saints to praise the Lord for the victory that he gives them over the uh, enemies. And Psalm 150 is a psalm that calls upon all that has breath to praise the Lord. Verse 6, let everything that has breath, praise the Lord. So each looks at praise from a slightly different perspective. Now Psalm 148 has two stanzas. In the first stanza, we call on the heavens to praise the Lord. That's in verse 1, praise the Lord from the heavens. And in the second stanza, we call on earth to praise the Lord. Verse 7, praise the Lord from the earth. And so the uh, best way, I think, to look at this psalm is as uh, under the heading, let heaven and earth praise him. We stand, as it were, uh, a bit apart from both the heavens and the earth, and we stand apart in order to call 
both heaven and earth to the praise of the Lord. In this, as the church of our Lord Jesus Christ, we are fulfilling his calling to us, of course. That is what the church is called to do, to call upon all men, all nations, all creation, both heaven and earth, to praise the Lord. So let's look first at verses 1 to 6 and the praise of the Lord from the heavens. The psalm uses that word heavens here in the same way that Genesis 1 verse 1 uses it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The basic distinction of the psalm is between earth and everything else. So whatever does not belong to earth, in this psalm anyway, belongs to the heavens. And that heavens is, of course, first of all, the place where the throne of our Lord Jesus Christ has been established. He ascended into heaven to sit at the right hand of God. It's the place of the throne of Christ. It is also the dwelling place of the angels, the place uh, where the angels have their home, just as we have our home here on earth. So that's the, the, what we might call the spiritual heavens. But the heavens clearly also in this psalm include what we might call the starry heavens or the earthly heavens, the place where are the stars and the sun and the moon and so on. So it's all the heavens, everything that does not belong to the earth. The word heights, then, in the next line of the psalm, is a synonym for the heavens. And I think it's uh, probably helpful to us, a little bit helpful to us anyway, to look at the use of that word heaven, or heights, in the scriptures. Sometimes it refers to the tops of mountains and hills. So, for example, in Judges 5, verse 18, we have these words, Zebulun is a people who jeopardized their lives to the point of death, Naphtali also on the heights of the battlefield, same word we have in the psalm, and obviously there it refers to the high places, the tops of the hills or whatever, on the battlefield where the people of Israel were fighting against the Canaanites under uh, Sisera. So that's one use of that word heights. Another, and of course, in regard to that, these heights often became, especially later in Israel's history, places where the people of Israel committed idolatry. And the Lord speaks very uh, severely against his people for worshiping uh, other gods on the high places. That's how it's translated usually in those situations. But it's the same word. The heights, the high places where the people worship their idols. Sometimes also the word refers to pride. Thus in Psalm 73 verse 8 they scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression they speak loftily, or they speak from the heights. 
is the literal Hebrew there. They speak from the heights. There is this lifting of oneself up, this exaltation of oneself, as if he stands above others and can speak then down to them. And again in Psalm 75, verse 5, do not lift up your horn on high or to the heights. Do not speak with a stiff neck. So it also has reference to pride. But in a a number of places, it also refers to the heavens. And I want to refer to several passages here because I think they give us some slightly different perspectives on this idea. So, uh, 2 Samuel 22, verse 17. 2 Samuel 22, from uh, verse 17. This is a song of David in which he celebrates the Lord's deliverance of him from his enemies. And he says, in verse 17, he sent from above, or he sent from the heights, from heaven, that is. He took me, he drew me out of many waters. 2 Kings 19, verse 22, is another passage. 2 Kings 19, verse 22. Whom have you reproached? This is the word of Isaiah the prophet against Sennacherib, king of Assyria. Whom have you reproached and blasphemed? Against whom have you raised your voice? And lifted up your eyes on high, or you see the the pride there as well as the uh, rebellion against heaven, and lifted up your eyes on high or to the heights against the Holy One of Israel. Psalm 68, verse 18. Also, Psalm 68, verse 18. In that psalm, We have words that the Apostle Paul quotes in uh, Ephesians chapter 4. But the, the psalm itself, verse 18, says this, You have ascended on high, or you have ascended to the heights. You have led captivity captive. You have received gifts from men. That's a prophecy of our Lord Jesus Christ's ascension into heaven. And then... Um, um, one more passage, Psalm 102, verse 19. Psalm 102, verse 19. For he looked down from the height of his sanctuary, from heaven the Lord viewed the earth. So the heights here are a synonym for the heavens, and we call upon the heavens and the heights to praise the Lord. Now notice one little difference between those two um, commands or exhortations, if you prefer. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. And of course that praise the Lord from the heavens stands as kind of the title or the summary of the section. And you find the same word in verse 7. Praise the Lord from the earth. And then it reverts to the preposition, praise him in the heights. But I think the idea is, praise the Lord from the heavens, that we here, as we stand on earth calling upon heaven to praise the Lord, we want to hear that praise. 
Praise the Lord from the heavens. Let that praise resound so loudly that we here on earth may hear it. And praise him in the heights then means let that praise be universal throughout the heavens. Let all creatures, as we find in the following verses, praise the Lord. All the heavenly creatures praise the Lord. Now the creatures mentioned specifically in the following verses, 2 and 3, first of all, uh, really, I think, kind of cover all the heavenly creatures that the scriptures talk about. I don't think that we know of, there may be more, but I don't think that we know of any other creatures from the scriptures that reside in the heavens. So this is, we might say, a kind of exhaustive list, at least from our perspective. We think about all those creatures that belong to the heavens, and we call upon all those creatures that are in the heavens to praise the Lord, beginning with his angels. These are those uh, spiritual beings whose proper home is in heaven. They are rational beings, beings who are able, therefore, to exercise their wills and who are able to praise the Lord with their minds and with their hearts and with their mouths. They are, there are different kinds of angels according to the scriptures. In the Old Testament, we read about seraphim and cherubim, for example. In uh, the New Testament, we read about uh, principalities and powers in Romans Chapter 8, verse 38, this is probably a reference to angels anyway. Romans 8, verse 38, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. And again in Ephesians chapter 6, we read about Angels again there. Um, that's in verses 10 and following. We'll pick it up in verse 12, however. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Notice he's specifically saying it's not against flesh and blood that we wrestle, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole army of God. We know of two angels by name, Michael, who seems to be the captain of the Lord's armies to fight against Satan and his hosts. We find him talked about especially in the book of Daniel and in Revelation chapter 12. And Gabriel, who seems to be the chief messenger of the Lord and who announced to Zacharias and to Mary the births of John and Jesus. There are myriads of angels, thousands upon thousands of angels, and our Lord Jesus Christ told his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane that he could summon at least 12 legions of angels from his Father in heaven to defend him from the wicked men who were taking him captive. All of these angels, then, we summon here in the Psalms, in this psalm, to join us in the praise of God. Praise the Lord, all his angels. 
The word hosts in the second part of that verse also refers, at least in the first place, to his angels as his armies, those who go forth at his bidding to do his will and to help and defend his people here on earth. But that word hosts probably also covers the stars. The stars are called hosts of God as well in the scriptures. They they are called the hosts of God partly because they too are very great in number. We saw that in Psalm 147. But because it's suggested at least in the scriptures that they too fight for God's people. Judges 5 Verse 20, that's again in the song of Deborah and Barak, after victory over the Canaanites. They fought from the heavens, the stars from their courses fought against Sisera. So the stars are called to praise him as well. And sun and moon, in verse 3, the two heavenly bodies most visible and most prominent to us and most beneficial to us as well. The one to give light by day and the other to give light by night. In verse 4, you find reference to the heavens of heavens, first of all. Or the highest heavens is probably the idea here. The highest heavens. That place in the whole of this first creation which is most highly exalted and of which Solomon says in his prayer in 1 Kings 8 the heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you how much less this house that I have built and finally the waters above the heavens now this is a little mysterious Some refer it simply to the clouds and the rain. The difficulty with that is that really the rain is probably included in verse 8 as part of the earthly creation. Fire and hail, snow and clouds, stormy wind, fulfilling his word. What is meant by the waters above the heavens? Well, if we go back to Genesis chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, there's a rather uh, mysterious reference to waters above the heavens or waters above the firmament. Then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. So the firmament or the heaven divided the waters above from the waters below. And it may be a reference then here in Psalm 148 to those waters that were above the firmament. There may be also reference to these waters in the account of the flood when it is said that God opened the windows of heaven and this water from the 
windows of heaven poured down on the earth and flooded the whole world, killing all creatures and all peoples on the earth, except for Noah and his family. So it's, it's possible that this waters above the heavens refers to something that we really don't know very much about. But here, it's clear that they belong in the heavenly realm, not in the earthly realm. The psalmist conceives of them as belonging to the heavenly realm. They are the waters above the heavens. And they too, we call to praise the Lord. Verses 5 and 6 then give us the reasons why they should praise. All these heavenly creatures should praise the Lord. Let them praise the name of the Lord. For he commanded and they were created. The first reason is their creation. Praise him because he created them. And the second reason is found in verse 6. He providentially governs and upholds them. He also established them forever and ever he made a decree which shall not pass away. These heavenly creatures, all of these heavenly creatures, declare the glory and power of God. Praise Him. That's the purpose for which He created them, and we summon them to fulfill their purpose here in this psalm. Let them praise the name of the Lord. Let them praise Him for their creation let them praise him for his providential upholding them. And this happened, both the word of the uh, creation and the uh, upholding of them happened by his word. He commanded and they were created. He spoke and it was done. He commanded and they stood fast. And it's also his word then that governs them and upholds them in his providence. He made a decree which shall not pass away, his everlasting word. His word which he speaks throughout the whole history of the world is the word that upholds these creatures in their existence. Now, of course, the question is, why do we call upon inanimate creatures to praise the Lord. It's obvious why we should call upon the angels to praise the Lord. They have the power of opening their mouths, of bowing down to him and of worshiping him, just as we do. But we call upon inanimate creatures, upon sun and moon and stars, the very heavens themselves, to praise the Lord. They do not have that power of voluntary praise, of verbal praise, how can we then summon them to praise? And the answer to that is that they, by their very existence, declare the power and glory and wisdom of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. And the scriptures do this quite often, don't they? They personify inanimate creatures as if these creatures speak. So we find in Psalm 65 that the hills shout for joy. We find in Romans 8 that the whole creation, including inanimate creatures, groan together, waiting for the adoption to wit the, rege- uh, the redemption or the, uh, the redemption of God's people. 
So they personify, but they, these creatures praise God then in their existence and praise Him in fulfilling their functions in the, wor- in the world, in His creation. The sun rises and sets and declares His praise. The moon also shows forth the praises of God. The stars in their innumerable multitude and the vastness of the heavens all declare the praise of our God. And we stand here on earth as the people of God, calling then to the heavens and to the angels and to all heavenly creatures to join us in the praise of our Lord. Let's look then at the second stanza where we call upon all earthly creatures to praise the Lord. Now there are many, many thousands of earthly creatures that we know about. We know of only a few heavenly creatures, and so we can give a kind of exhaustive list in that first stanza. But here in this stanza, of course, it would be impossible to list all the thousands and thousands of earthly creatures. And so what we have here in this stanza is some representative creatures from the earthly creation. But what this psalm does is kind of divide the earthly creation into three parts, I think. First, you have the seas in verse 7, the depths. You have the sky in verse 8, not mentioned directly, but implied, because fire or lightning and hail, snow and clouds, stormy wind, these all belong to the skies. And then you have the ground or the land in verses 9 and following. So you get this threefold division of the earthly creation, and we call upon these different parts of the creation itself, these inanimate parts, again, of the creation, the sea, the skies, and the land itself to praise the Lord. And then, with, in connection with each of these parts of the creation, some creatures are named. In connection with the seas, the great sea creatures. This is another one of those mysterious Hebrew words that is very difficult for us to interpret. You have, uh, in the Old Testament, the behemoth seems to be a land animal, a very large land animal, perhaps a an elephant or a woolly mammoth or something of that sort, you have, or perhaps even a dinosaur. You have also the Leviathan, described in Job 41, but mentioned in other places as well, some kind of sea creature, perhaps. And then you have here yet a third word, tanin, which seems to be a reference again to a sea creature. In fact, There are passages where the Tanin and the uh, Leviathan seem to be the same creature. Let's refer to a couple of passages in the scriptures regarding these great sea creatures. Genesis 1 verse 21 is the first place they're mentioned. Genesis 1 verse 21. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded according to their kind. Perhaps the whales, or uh, perhaps some dinosaur also that has now become 
extinct. We don't know again. Psalm 74 mentions these creatures as well. Psalm 74, verse 13. You divided the sea by your strength. You broke the heads of the sea serpents in the waters. You broke the heads of the Leviathan in pieces and gave him as food to the people inhabiting the wilderness. That, in verse 13, is the Tanin again. And then in Isaiah 27, verse 1, Isaiah 27, verse 1, have another reference to these creatures. In that day, the Lord, with his severe sword, great and strong, will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, Leviathan, that twisted serpent, and he will slay the reptile, or the tanin, that is in the sea. And finally, in Ezekiel 29, verse 3, Ezekiel 29, verse 3, One more reference to this creature. Behold, I am against you, O Pharaoh, king of Egypt, O great monster who lies in the midst of his rivers, who has said, My river is my own, I have made it for myself. Obviously used in a figurative way there. This is the greatest of the sea creatures then that we call to praise. And this greatest of all the sea creatures is representative of all the rest of the creatures who live in the seas. Then in verse 8, we have the skies and the creatures that belong to the skies. Fire or lightning and hail, snow and clouds and stormy wind. Uh, Clouds may well be smoke, and some of your translations may even have the word smoke there. Fire and smoke corresponding, and hail and snow corresponding then. And along with them, wind. Notice about those creatures that they're all ephemeral, that they don't last. The fire, the lightning, passes in a moment. The hail melts, the snow melts, the smoke or the clouds pass away. The stormy wind does not continue forever. But all of these very ephemeral creatures of the Lord also fulfill his word. They do his bidding. They obey his command to them. They are instruments by which he accomplishes his purpose. In his book, Learning to Love the Psalms, Robert Godfrey says of that word, of that term, uh, or that phrase rather, fulfilling his word, that it stands at the very center of the psalm. And may well, therefore, mean not, be not just a reference to the immediate creatures in verse 8, but to all the creatures mentioned here in the psalm. The heavenly creatures as well as the earthly creatures, all of them are fulfilling his word, carrying out his purpose, being used by him to accomplish his will. All of these creatures then also are to praise him. And then in verses 9 to 12, the creatures that belong to the land. And here he follows the order of creation. God created the dry land, then he created the the trees and the grass, 
uh, on the dry land. And finally, he created the animals. And at the end, on day six, man himself. That's the order we have here in these um, four verses. The mountains and all hills, that is all the dry land, let it also praise the Lord. The fruitful trees and all cedars, that's the trees from which we are able to eat and all the rest of the trees as well. The beasts and all cattle, creeping things and flying fowl. He divides the animals into four groups here. The beasts, the wild beasts, the lions and the tigers and the jaguars and the elephants and the mountain lions and the ostriches and all these wild beasts. And the cattle are the domestic animals, the cows and the horses and the sheep and the pigs and so on. Creeping things are the insects, probably also things like snakes and the smaller animals like rodents, mice and rats and other kinds of animals of that type. And finally, the birds. Four classes of animals, all of them are to praise the Lord as well. All the beasts of the earth are to be praising the Lord. And then finally in verses 11 and 12, all people. And he begins high and works down. Notice, the kings are first, the highest of men on earth, and the peoples or the nations under them. And notice here that it's all nations. He does not, we do not summon just the nation of God, the people of Israel, to praise him, the church of our Lord Jesus Christ to praise him, but we summon all kings and all nations to his praise. Princes and judges are next in order, not as high as kings, but still people having authority. And again, it's universal. Princes and all judges of the earth, all those who have any kind of authority whatsoever on earth. And finally, the ordinary people, young men and maidens, old men and children, people of all age groups, people of both sexes, all of them are to be praising the Lord. Now there's one little point in verse 12, which we should make. It's not a terribly significant point, but it's worth pointing out, I think. In verses 11, or verses 10 and following, even verses 9 and following, you have pairs, right? Mountains and all hills, fruitful trees and all cedar, beasts and all cattle. And this pairing goes on, and you're always, the pairs are connected with the word and. Well, in that last line, old men and children, the conjunction is not and, but with. It's a preposition, in fact. Old men with children. As if God here particularly says, I want to hear the voices of the old men and the children united. The greatest contrast of men possible. And he says, let them together praise the Lord. So this is a universal call to the earthly creation, including the earth and all the creatures of the earth as well. We summon them all to praise 
the name of the Lord. Let them praise the name of the Lord. Now verses 13 and 14 give us reasons. If you look at those reasons, they're different from the reasons given for the heavenly creation. They don't have to be. He, we could summon all earthly creatures to praise the Lord because he created them and because by his decree he upholds them in their existence and in their functions. But the focus changes here. There's a different reason for the praise given here. It carries on from verses 5 and 6 and adds reason. While the reasons given in 5 and 6 could apply to the earthly creatures, these reasons given here in 13 and 14 could apply to the heavenly creatures. So the point is not that one should praise him for one, these reasons, and the other group should praise him for these reasons, but that these are reasons all together for all God's creatures to give praise to him. And the first of those reasons is his name is exalted His glory is above earth and heaven. The heavens are very high, so high that we cannot grasp how high they are. But the Lord is above them all. His glory is above them. His name is above them. He is the one who is enthroned on the heavens and has the earth as his footstool. He is very great. We should praise him simply for his greatness. But this second reason given here, notice, narrows it all down and says, here's the final reason for praising him. He has exalted the horn of his people. Praise him for his goodness to his people. Praise him, you angels, for his goodness to his people. Praise him, heaven of heavens, for his goodness to his people. Praise him, fire and hail, snow and clouds and stormy wind, for his goodness to his people. Praise him, kings of the earth, princes and judges and all nations, for his goodness to his people. He has exalted the horn of his people. Here's manifested especially the power and wisdom and glory of our God and his goodness. And let all creation Praise him then for this. Now that word horn is another one of those words that's a little bit obscure to us. But I think it's a word that in the Old Testament has to do with strength and honor. He has exalted the strength and the honor of his people. So we find Hannah in her uh, song of thanksgiving when God gave her a son, using this language. 1 Samuel 2, verse 1. My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. The Lord has exalted her strength above her enemies. The Lord has exalted her honor above the honor of her enemies. So it often just refers to this idea of strength and honor. 
But it's also frequently associated in the Old Testament with the king. In fact, Hannah herself talks about this in the last lines of her song, 1 Samuel 2, verse 10. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. And you find this also in numerous other places. A couple of them, Psalm 89, verse 24. Psalm 89, verse 24, refers to the horn of David, actually. David, who was a type of our Lord Jesus Christ. And of him he says, But my faithfulness and my mercy shall be with him, and in my name his horn shall be exalted. Or Psalm 132, verse 17. Psalm 132, verse 17 as well. There we have these words. There I will make the horn of David to grow. I will prepare a lamp for my anointed. So I think people of God, when we look at those uses of the word horn, we can say there may well be in this psalm a reference, a prophetic reference to our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the horn of his people. He is the strength and the honor of his people. And when it says God has exalted the horn of his people, he has caused our Lord Jesus Christ to ascend into the highest heavens. Now, the next question about this verse is the praise of all his saints. What does that refer to? Two possible references there. One is that it refers to the Lord himself, Yahweh. And we would understand it this way. He who is the praise of all his saints has exalted the horn of his people. He who is the praise of all his saints has exalted the horn of his people. And the point is then, it fits very neatly into the psalm that way, that because he is the one who has exalted the horn of his people, he is our praise. The Lord himself, Yahweh himself, is our praise. But you can also understand it of the horn. He has exalted the horn of his people, and that horn is the praise of his saints. His people praise him there, therefore, for their horn, their strength, and their honor. And they praise him because in that horn, he, which he has exalted, he has chosen a people for himself, the children of Israel. And he has brought that people near to him. That people is not just a people who dwells in his creation, his earthly creation, but a people who dwells in his house with him there in that house. They have a special obligation to praise him. So we have, I think here, a a picture, first of all, of the heavenly assembly that's described in Hebrews 12 where the angels and the redeemed are gathered together in the presence of God with 
the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the heavenly assembly uh, pictured in Hebrews 12. And this heavenly assembly, in this heavenly assembly, the saints are calling upon all creation, heaven and earth, and all the creatures that belong to that creation to praise the Lord. And there is then in this heavenly assembly a looking forward to the new creation in which this psalm will be fulfilled. Now there are many who do not praise him and will not praise him. But in that great day when our Lord returns and makes the new heavens and the new earth, then indeed the heavens and the heavens of heavens and the earth and all that is in it will praise the Lord. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I think John, the Apostle John, sees the fulfillment of this psalm in Revelation 5, verse 13. Revelation 5, verse 13. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth And such as are in the sea, and all that are in them, I heard saying, Blessing, and honor, and glory, and power be to him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb forever and ever. So we sing, people of God, praise the Lord from the heavens, praise him from the earth, praise him, all creatures whom he has made, and whom he upholds by his hand. Praise him, all creatures who are fulfilling his purpose even now. Praise him, because ultimately all things are given to him who sits on the throne, to the Lamb, forever and ever. May God bless us with his word.